You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Morning, my name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. So in the summer between second and third grade, I moved schools, and that's kind of, kind of a big deal for a kid, you know, and, and I didn't know anyone and all those things. <clears throat> um, about halfway through the year, I was kind of settled. I had some friendships and all that, and this girl comes over to me, and she hands me a note. For some of you, that's like a, be like a text message on paper <laughs> that's written uh, with a pencil, and it was folded up, and she said, hey, Michael, um, this is from a fourth grader, and she doesn't want me to know who that is, and I was in third grade, and I was like, wow, okay, I cannot wait to read this, so I read it, and it was like um, words of endearment, you know, like, I like you, and, you know, you are charming, and, you know, just handsome, and it, it didn't say all those things, but it was, it was something like that, you know, it was like, I, I like you, I just can't tell you who I am, and I was like, wow, <laughs> like, I don't even know what to do with that, and so uh, I, I rode the bus with a couple of fourth grade girls that I was like, like, really good friends with, and so I, I wasn't speculating that that was them, and so I think I like talked, like, this is the weirdest thing, and they're like, that, and I'm like, it, it wasn't you, you know, it wasn't you, and I'm in third grade, like little me, you know, like, and, uh, and so later on that night, or maybe the next day, I like, I revisited, uh, see, my heart's pounding just thinking about it, like, I'm sure I was like nervous, so, so I like revisited it, and I, and I read it, and, and then I like, uh, it, like zoomed in, you know, like in the bottom left corner, there was like a name written like, like three times, and it was this girl's name. Like, it was, it was her name written on the corner of this note that she, said, that she handed me that, that said it was from someone else. And so, I, uh, I wasn't interested uh, in whatever the offer was. Um, and, and honestly, I haven't revisited that until, until this day. It may not have been her, right? But my assumption was that it was her, and, and I moved on with my life. The thing of it was, like, that wasn't the norm of, of that type of thing, like, you know, if, if maybe you're younger or older, I don't know, like, like the cliche of like check yes or no or like, sir, like do you like me or will you be my boyfriend or will you be my girlfriend or, or will you go out with me, yes or no. Like that, that's, that was a real thing. Like that, that, was, that was a thing. It's not just a cliche thing. And so that was a real thing. But man, think about the vulnerability that that takes to write something on a piece of paper and say like, do you accept me as I am, you know? Like, do you want to do you want to do this, whatever that is, yes or no? And it's like there's not like a medium, and I guess that would be the equivalent of of like a a, a swipe left or swipe right or or send a wink or like whatever happens on dating apps and stuff like that today. But the vulnerability is it's not one in a sea of millions. It's it's just one and another, and you're saying like, do you like me? That's pretty vulnerable. Um, like. What's that all about? It's an attempt to define a, a relationship. It's, a, it's an attempt to define the terms of a relationship, to circle yes, 
means something, and it, and it shapes the way things play out between the two thereafter. That's tough for a, a third grader. And that's tough for grown men and women. That's tough for not just relationships like that, but, but a parent that they feel because they don't want to put themselves out there in, in such a way. That's true for all sorts of relationships. We bring assumption, things true and things untrue. And we bring insecurity and we bring fear and we bring doubt and unknowns and, and, and vulnerability to all types of relationships that we have in this life. And here's the thing. That's true for how we relate with God as well. Like, if you find yourself today unsure of how God relates to you and how you relate to Him, that's okay. That, that is okay to, to be unsure about that. Um, we, we all bring assumption, things true and things untrue, about the way that we interact with God. And we bring insecurity and fear and doubt and, and unknowns and, and vulnerability. But, but thanks be to God, He brings clarity to our relationships. He brings clarity to the relationship that we have with our past and with our present and with our future and with one another and, and from beginning to end. He brings clarity to our relationship that we get to have with Him. People of our rescue and lays out the terms of our relationship. He tells us how we get to interact with him, with one another, with, with creation, uh, with, with our sin and all that that brings. And, and even with the way that we interact with ourselves. And, and today is kind of a setup that we get to talk about what it looks like for God's covenant people, for, for his people to live and act together in a world that doesn't look like uh, the world ought to look in, in the way that they interact with God. So today we jump into kind of Exodus part two, and Exodus is not broken up into two books. It's just one. So we preached uh, the first 18 chapters last year, and today we, we jump in, in chapter 19, and we're kind of plowing through. And, and in the first section of this, what we saw was, was God rescuing his people. God rescuing his people. And there were some people that no matter what, if you don't know anything about God and his word, you probably heard of like a guy called Moses, all right? And you probably heard of like parting of the Red Sea and, and burning bush and, and all kinds of stuff like that. That stuff happened in, in our first journey together through this. And, and what was happening was God, after a long time, his people had been held captive to the Egyptians and, and Pharaoh. And, and God comes to a guy named Moses and he says, I want to rescue uh, our people. And Moses says, man, that is awesome. And God says, and, and I'm, I'm going to have you do it. And he's like, ah, you, you have the wrong guy. And so we see the relationship grow and, and build out together. And, and all of it is just God showing up in these miraculous ways, using Moses in, in, his, in his weak faith and his boldness to, to, to call out Pharaoh and to say, no, you're going to let my people go, and then he wouldn't. And so there were these ten plagues that God put upon him, all kinds of things, frogs and, and flies. And, and finally it culminated with, at the end, the, the angel of death would go through and it would kill the firstborn in every household in the land of Egypt, except for the ones that had killed a baby lamb in a particular way and smeared its blood on their doorpost. And for those, the angel of death would pass over them, and those that had little faith and those that had much faith, they did that. 
and they were passed over. And finally, Pharaoh said, get out of here. And they, they fled. Hundreds of thousands of them fled across the Red Sea that God parted so that they might walk on dry land. And as they did, Pharaoh got upset and he changed his mind again. And he sent his chariots and his warriors and soldiers after them. And, and, and maybe you know that the, the sea actually uh, fell in upon them, destroying them and, and liberating God's people. That was the rescue. All right, so now they're out in the, the desert wilderness walking around. And so the first part, we see God rescuing these people. And what we're setting up now is God establishing his people. This is like Exodus, Exodus 2, covenant community. God is establishing his people. And, and so we at the village preach predominantly through books of the Bible. And we do that to model what it looks like for, for life in him, to grow in him, to, to not just isolate a, a single passage or scripture or something like that, but to, but to see the story of God unfold before us. And so we do that today. We, we preach through God's word uh, to make the fullness of God known and treasured and delighted above all else. That's what we get to do today. And so I just want you to know that, that some sermons take some different tones and different form. This is going to be relatively kind of, kind of teachy um, today, and it's going to set up lots of stuff for us to explore over the next few months, and so just letting you know. So, so if there was, if this was like a series or like a, a, a trilogy, this would be like last time on Exodus, God rescuing and establishing His people, and it, it really kind of helps set us up, right? And so, what I want you to know is, up to this point, God and His people, there's no law. God, through many people, God has said, I want you to be my people and I will be your God. And they say, okay. But he's not set up all the details of what that looks like. They don't have a concept really of morality as we see it today. And so that's, that we just get to keep that in mind. There's been no kingdom of Israel. There's been no king. Nothing like that. It's just God and his people. And so it's the Hebrews in the desert. And so uh, the, the first six verses are kind of going to drive our time to, today, but I want to I read those and then summarize the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and kind of hone in uh, together. If you have your Bible, hang out there, and man, you can follow along. It might be really helpful for us today. Are you ready? All right, Exodus 19, I want to read the first six verses, and again, this will set up, kind of anchor our time on the back end. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the last, uh, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rapidium and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, Mount Sinai, kind of a big deal, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my witness. Uh, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, that's the setup, but then here's what happens, all right? So, God tells Moses, go tell the, the leaders of Israel that, all right? And, and Moses, he calls the leader, he goes down the mountain, he calls the elders, the leaders of Israel, uh, or, or of God's people, the, the Hebrews, he, he lays out what God said. And, and so, uh, the people tell Moses, all 
Uh, it says, all the people agreed together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. God hasn't even laid out the terms yet, and they said, we're in, which is kind of cool, right? Um, so Moses, he goes back up the mountain, he tells God, hey, they're good, all right? And so God then tells Moses, all right, I'm, I'm going to come to you in a cloud, and it's going to be like a big scene, and I'm doing that so that they know it's me, and so that they believe you forever, right? It's like validating. This is what God does often in the scriptures. He uses miracles to validate the authority of his people, and so he says, go to the people, tell them to clean up, to consecrate themselves. That means to, to set themselves apart, right? And, and wash their garments and, and do all these things. And he says, and, and I'll see you in three days. But, but continue on, set limits for the people all around. Uh, do not let them come upon this mountain. Because if they do, don't touch them, but, but shoot them with arrows and, and stone them. Got it. Don't touch the mountain. Got it. Um, and then he says, uh, you're going to wait for a trumpet. And, and Moses went down and he told them all these things. Consecrate yourself and wash your garments. And don't touch a woman, which seems kind of odd. All right? It's like, uh, don't, don't touch a woman. You know what I'm saying? And so why does he say that? Well, there's no commentary. I have no idea why he says that. But he's saying, like, keep your head on straight. You know what I'm saying? All right? And then... And then uh, three days later, this is what happens. The trumpet sounds, and we see the clouds, and there's like this big, I, I think of Aladdin's genie moment, and there's like, uh, one, one person said it this way, there, there's like thunders and lightning, it's like a thunderstorm and a volcano and an earthquake all in one. There's clouds, and it's like a big scene. So Moses, he brought the people from camp to the foot of the mountain, and here's what it says. It says they trembled, which honestly sounds about right like what else would you do if you saw that so so there there's fear in them and the trumpet gets louder and Moses speaks to God and, and God shows up and he says Moses come up the mountain and Moses he's like getting his steps in you can imagine he's like like gosh can we like invent some form of travel that's not my feet and, and so Moses gets his steps in he gets up to the top of the mountain and you know what God says Moses I need you to go down the mountain and you would imagine he's like, Mom, you couldn't have told me that when I was downstairs? Maybe that's just in our house. I don't know. Um, so, so he says, go down the mountain and warn them. Tell them to stay clear lest they be consumed. And, he, and, and, Moses, and, and then God says, tell the priest that as they draw near to remember to consecrate themselves, set themselves apart for God, lest they meet my wrath and they find they're in. And Moses says, but, but God, you already told us not to do that. They're not going to do that. And, and God says, okay, well, go get Aaron and, and bring him up here. And, and Moses did that. He, he told them. That's how the chapter ends, right? A lot going on there. So it may not be obvious, but I need to hit on a, a couple things. Mount Sinai is, one, frightening, and two, it, it plays a big role. It, it's actually a foreshadow, and even this scene foreshadows so much stuff. It's like a type of the work that God continues to do over and over again, and, and later on, God will establish a, a place for his people, right? Remember, they're out in the desert, out in the wilderness, and they'll be there for 
a while, all right? And so later on, God will establish a place for his people to meet him, and it starts off as a tent, and then it kind of grows into a tabernacle and, and ultimately becomes this temple, this huge thing. But here's the deal. Since sin entered through Adam and Eve in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the third chapter, it breaks relationship. Since then, there's a separation between God and man. There, uh, our relationship is estranged. It is not, uh, it's not together. It's not one. It's not unified. It is, it's broken, all right? And so what God is putting on display is his nature. Um, he's so pure that he will consume. They say like when, when gold is purified, it's heated up, and it, and it eliminates all the, the impurities, that's the nature of God, and if you've ever seen the Bible Project video on God's holiness, it like likens it to the sun, and, and it basically says no one can live without the sun. That's God's glory, but if you get too close, you will be consumed. That's, that's what God is saying on this mountain, right? Um, and so God lays, he lays that out in no uncertain terms, in, in scenes like this, and later through temple worship. And, and what we'll see is there are these rungs, even within the temple, and these layers of access. There's like the Holy of Holies where only one could come in, the, the high priest. And, and when he did, when he came in there, they tied a rope around his legs so that when he, if he died, because he, he's interacting with, with God's glory, if he died, they would pull him out by the rope attached to his leg. That's the nature of God's glory. And then outside of that Holy of Holies, there's the holy place, and there's some other sacrifice, and priests could enter in. And outside of that, there were kind of the courts where, where everyone can be. And so you see that on this mountain. But for now, know that this is their relationship with God. And this is the same nature as our relationship with God without a mediator. It is unmediated. We can't stand before God. And so they tremble, and we get to tremble. He is so much greater than, than we. The nature of God's people and their relationship with him, now that they are free. This is a segue to defining the relationship between God and his people. And so we're looking at three things about the relationship between God and his people from Exodus 19. And again, we're, we're observing as, as faithful Bible readers what's going on with them first, and then we get to zoom out and we get to say, well, what, what then is also true with us? So the first thing is this, God rescues. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God is a rescuer. So the call that he's making to, to these people is this, remember your rescue. It's speculated that this is about seven weeks after all that stuff with the Egyptians. So it's not, we've waited a year, but they didn't, they didn't wait a year, right? It was, it was just their life. And so it's about seven weeks later, and he's reminding them where they came from because you may not know this, but they didn't come out and they're like, oh, God, you're so great. They came out and they started whining like really quickly. Like, why can't we just take us back to Egypt? I'm hungry. That's what it looked like time and time again. And, and Moses is like, God, please. Like, I'm, like this is right. 
It's tough. And so, so he, he just reminds them, you were rescued. Remember that you were in need of rescue. Remember by whose initiative and whose hand you were rescued. Remember the who and the how you were rescued. Remember for, for what you were rescued to be my people. So he's just reminding them. And in the same breath, we get to be reminded of these same, same things. Remember uh, by whose initiative and whose hand we were rescued and, and for what we were rescued into to be God's people. And so as we look at Egypt and, and, and the rescue out of Egypt, there are a ton of parallels. And, and we see like Pharaoh and his army is what had enslaved God's people in Exodus. And we see for us and for all uh, after that, we see sin and Satan and death is what holds us as slaves. And so we see the Passover, the lamb that saved them in, in Exodus. And we see the cross, the, the blood of the lamb save us, right? We see in this, there's a, a promised land set aside for these people. And for us, we have, have eternal life set aside for us. So up until Jesus came, which was 1,500 years after this, if you were to ask any Jew, any one of God's people, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that you've been rescued? How do you know that you are his possession? They would point to the Exodus. They would point to Passover. They would point to God's mighty hand in rescuing them. That's how they know. So as we are working through Exodus, we get to see kind of visible parallels that run even wider in our life through Christ. So the important thing we're, we're looking at here is, is God rescues. He does the work. They weren't searching for a Savior. They, they didn't tap Moses on the shoulder and say, we think you're the one to take us out of here. God initiated. He did the work. And, and God reminds them to remember. And for, for us in this room, if you are in Christ, he reminds us just the same. It was miraculous. Just as God pointed Israel to remember what they'd been saved from and what they'd been saved by and what they'd been saved for, he reminds we take communion for those who are in Christ by faith. And as we do that, do you, do you know what we're doing? And, and you hear me say this week after week, we get to do this to remember and to declare. We get to remember Christ's work in our life. We get to remember that we were slaves and God rescued us. His body broken represented slaves and he has set us free. God has rescued us through Christ. And that isn't just kind of flowery language to spiritualize bread and wine or styrofoam wafer and cup of of sour grape juice. It's, it's a reminder of how serious our sin is. We were in need of rescue. And sometimes for, for a, a grace-centered community, we can just bypass that. I mean, we get to, we get to meditate and we get to think deeply of, of the sin that we commit against God. It's, it's a, a reminder of the nature of our relationship with God. Our body, our blood, 
That's what we earned by our relationship with God. But uh, so, so without a mediator, that's what we get. That's frightening. We couldn't wash our garments enough. We couldn't consecrate ourselves enough. We cannot set ourselves up. We cannot climb high enough in our own goodness. But thanks be to God, we have one, a mediator in Christ our Lord, who stands between God's wrath, and he reaps for us God's love for all who believe. God rescues. The second thing is this, God requires That might make some of you nervous. If you, if you stake the pillars of your faith on God's, God's grace given to you through faith, and you should. And then somebody says, well, like God requires something. That, that might make you uneasy. But this is what the Bible says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. If you will do this. And we'll get to the, the, the rest of that sentence in a few minutes. But So God does require. God does demand. He does command. right? And we might say it a different way. Like God invites us in. He invites them into something. And he invites us into something. But make, make, make no mistake. We can't miss this. That God requires righteousness to be his. If, you, if we don't understand that. And we think that we're just... Like the nature of our relationship with God at birth or, or throughout our life is that, that we're all children of God. And, and you think that God's love is just poured out on everyone. That's not true. What you're believing about God in yourself is not true. And so God requires righteousness to be his. We miss this, then we miss any sliver of hope that there is in the good news of the Exodus or the good news of the cross. We can't minimize this reality. God is God, and you are not. And I think, once we see the full picture, I think that's good news, right? That, that God is God, and, and I am not. And so there are <clears throat> covenants or, or agreements throughout Scripture, and some of them are conditional, like, like if-thens, and some of them are unconditional covenants, and, and, and there are times when there's like an, an if and a then that defines the relationship. And so if you go back to like check yes or no, check yes or no, or, or when you declare to someone, as long as I live. Usually in that, there's not like a, a, a clause, like so long as you keep up your end of the... So like this is true, and we're doing this so, so long as... Check yes or no in third grade, uh, that's not like, uh, that's, not, that's not a forever thing, right? There are, there are things that we have to negotiate along the way. And so, so in this situation, God says, man, there's going to be something for you if you keep my covenant, right? Uh, walking with God is a, is a two-way street. It's all him. He initiates, he rescues, he brings us near, and we get to respond, and we get to trust, and we get to obey, it says the same thing is true for Jesus. When, when he invites us to follow him, you know what we get to do? We get to follow him. And we see time and time again interactions with him in the New Testament where he says uh, the, the rich ruler comes up and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, uh, you know, uh, be a good person. <laughs> Keep all the rules. And he says, I've kept all the rules. Okay, well, there's one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then you can follow me. And what happens? 
The, the rich ruler, he doesn't want to walk in those terms. He doesn't want to obey. And so he walks away sad because he was, he was super rich. Jesus didn't say, you can follow me on your terms. He says, follow me on my terms. So that's why I say it's, it's of the utmost importance that we understand that, that God is God and that, that no one else is. In this relationship, he tells them, I'm the one that sought you, and I'm the one that rescued you. You are mine. But look, it's not just a a one. It's not just for for the individuals, but it's for for all of them together. He is building a a covenant community. Our relationship with God is humanity. When he builds a kingdom, he's setting up the, the foundation of what that kingdom will live like in a world that's filled with darkness. So God establishes a people to live for his glory. And and when we do, it's not kicking and screaming. When we do, we find the fullest life and the greatest joy. Individually and and broadly as a society. This is the, the life that God invites us into. It's not to drag him into whatever it is that we're doing, but it's to reestablish our own lives with him at the center. And so he says, because I have rescued you, obey my voice. Keep my covenant. And it's super common to flip those and say, yeah, if I, if I obey his commands, then he will rescue me. But, but we can't we can't flip the order. God initiates the rescue of his people. And because he rescues us in from something into a relationship with him that we get to walk in. So he tells them, obey and keep the covenant, the, the terms of which he has not yet given them. It, it would be like, uh, hey, I, I've got you here and I just have to ask you a question. I, yes, yes, but I've not asked the question. Will you go with me for tacos? But you already said yes, right? So God, God he says, invite the people to, to be mine. And, and it would be like, uh, and again, another Aladdin analogy, like, do you trust me? Well, well in the moment, uh, well, where we need to get out of here. Do you trust me? Uh, I'm going to need to see some, it's not like that. It's do you trust me or not? Because if you do, take my hand. I am yours and you are mine. Do you trust me? So he saves his people to bring them into the fullness of life. Once from Egypt through Moses, for all from sin through Jesus. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. See, God rescues us and he invites us in to to live a life that he requires to to love him and to love others. And he shows us how to do that perfectly throughout this book. So, So on a heart level for some, this is a matter of submission. God says, do you trust me? Walk with me. And so for us, well, we don't, maybe we don't like the word submission. And no, I'm going to follow God on my terms. Then you're, you're not going to follow God. So if we get to evaluate and sift our own hearts, is it him that I'm after? 
Or is it making him cave and cater to what my desire is? For some, maybe it's knowledge. He says, walk in my ways and walk in, in my covenant. And they didn't have much at that time, but we have a whole lot more in this book. So for some who are trying to walk with him, and, and you're just kind of figuring that out by the, you're taking cultural cues at best from those that are connected to a church. And you say, well, I think that's what it looks like. And maybe, no, we get to know the fullness of God. And so we get to build our life on this thing so that we know what it looks like to walk in covenant with him. And for others, you might check those boxes and you might say, I submit and I know what the requirements are. But, but it might be an issue of delight. That, yeah, I'm God's, and yeah, I keep all the rules. And you say, man, I don't, I don't just want you to do the things. I want us to delight in one another. You be my treasured possession. The last thing, God rewards. <clears throat> Five, I'll read the... the Back part of 5 and verse 6. He says, If indeed, uh, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that I want you to tell them. See, the goal in being God's people isn't to, to merely exist as God's people, but it's to be treasured. It's so that, so that his people might flourish among all the earth. It's, it's so that we might be a people that delights in him, in one another, in his, in his holy community, and that we might be a blessing to those who are not his people. If none of this were true, then the goal would be to, go, to be God's people, and he would whisk us up into the heavens. It would be game over. We would, we would start eternity with him in, in the glory of new heavens and new earth. But he doesn't do that. He rescues us. He establishes the relationship of his requirement and what that looks like. And, and he rewards. In, in other words, from the very beginning, God establishes his people to be his people on mission. From the very beginning. To be a blessing to the world around them so that they might know and delight in God above all else. Now there are two uh, kind of technical but important notes in scriptures. One is there's this recurring theme uh, to this point of a promised land. And I remember I wasn't like raised in church, but like early on it was like promised land. And I thought this it was like a thing. It's, it's a land of promise, not something other than that. And so it's this land that God continues to put before them. And, and the one that, that's on the line here is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I looked up, like, was there actually milk and honey? Right? And they're like, well, yeah. So it was, it was in some ways literal, but it was also figurative. It was, it was just a great place. And it was for ancient Israel. They were nomads. They were wandering about. And God, he promises them a place that they might inhabit, that they might dwell they might be his people. But for us, similarly, that's not like the United States and it's not like some, some garden in the Middle East. This place for us is the new heavens and the new earth that he promises and it's filled with 
with rest and it's filled with peace in the fullness of a life in Christ as he rules and reigns now and forever. That is the, the promised land before us, a promised land with promised people. We are people of the promise. The second thing is, is this idea of kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, I will make you a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we're like, what? This shows up time and time again. There are no priests to this point. So any assumption that you have about what that looks like in the Old Testament, or beyond, there's, nothing has been established. He's saying these things, and so we get the idea that there are like Moses is a type of priest, a mediator between God and the people. And, and it formalizes, and as he calls Aaron up, in just, in just a few chapters, like his family will be the, the, the priest family, right? The household of, of the priest. And so, but it's not just referring to him, but, but to Israel's role as a representative to God, to the nations around them. You will be my treasured people among the nations. And we see this idea throughout the New Testament, this idea of us being a royal priesthood. And that means, one, that we can, that we can stand before God. And secondarily, it means that we get to, we get to point others to him. And so, so he says, you get the blessing of a promised land, and you also get to be blessing throughout all the land as my treasured possession. So here's the thing. What is the reward? God's gift to his people is himself. We might, we might forget that that's the highest prize, it's not that we that we get oh we get things and and we get new heavens and new earth and we get eternal paradise and we get these things but but the greatest gift in all of that is simply being God's people. That's what we get. That is the gift. In Him we find freedom and identity and rest and and fullness of life and true love and joy and peace. And He delivers all of those things by nature of our relationship with Him. So this chapter, chapter 19, is, is the segue between rescue from and, and rescue for, which is what we're going to spend the next whatever months working through, right? It's, it's the segue between rescued and established. And he will give the terms of the covenant, but, but as for this day, they get to just determine if they're his. And a little spoiler for you, um, next week we will start the Ten Commandments. We're going to walk through each of those and kind of look at them together and put them in context. And know that not just this list of rules that we fight about, but it's the beginning of God establishing the ways of his people. So in all of this, the, the holy mountain and, and, and this theme that we see time and time again in Scripture, the, the rescue, the requirement, the reward, we receive rescue in Jesus. We are credited with his requirement in Jesus. Later on, Jesus would come and he would live a perfect life, fulfilling the perfect requirement. He would consecrate us by faith in the life that he lived. We receive reward by the hand of grace for those who are in Christ. So if you ask yourself this question today, 
What is my relationship with God like? Well, that depends on how you interact with Jesus. And later on in the book of Hebrews, we see this little kind of connector. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, like we can stand on top of the mountain with God. Not because we did a really good job at, at making our laundry clean or keeping all the rules externals. By the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, we couldn't ever, but when we put our life in the life of Jesus, he gives us new hearts washed by the precious blood of Jesus. And so he is the redeemer who rescues from sin. He is the mediator who stands between us and God's wrath so that we might not only not be consumed, but that we might be able to draw near and be loved by him. He is the requirement of God, not abolishing the law that God would give, but fulfilling it perfectly, thereby rewarding all who are his with the promised hope, God being God and we being his together forever. So when that girl gave me that note, she was confused about and, and she was striving to define or, or redefine a relationship. But here's the thing. Today, we don't have to be confused about our relationship with God. And it all comes down to this in the offer that Jesus says, follow me. Do you trust me? That's what Jesus is saying. Do you trust me today? And if you do, there is a lot more to sort out. But if you do, then today, commit to walking with him all the days of your life. God reminds his people of their rescue, and he lays out the terms of their relationship. The band could come on up. Right? What we get to do is, is we get to sit right where we are, stand and sing and worship this great God with our voices and with our, our hearts and our minds. If you'd like to pray, my wife and I will be back by that red tree. There will be a few others over by that red tree. There's a prayer bench over here. You can pray right there if you'd like to pray by yourself. And for those who are in Christ, man, the offer of communion as we get to remember and declare Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was spilled to rescue us and to call us his own. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for your gift, the gift of you. Thank you that you define the terms of our relationship, and it's built on your rescue of us, and we get to be brought in as loved, beloved sons and daughters, not by, would you show us? Would you show us that we've been rescued when we put our faith in you? Would you show us what you require of us, that we would love you and we would love others and show us how to do that? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit 
to live lives that reflect you and your glory. And God, we ask that, that for those who walk with you, that, that we find our reward, and that reward is you. Eternal life today. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name.